You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Today we are here to discuss Marathon Man, which came out in 1976 and was directed by John Schlesinger. An innocent man is suddenly caught in a nightmare he cannot understand and may not survive. Is it safe? No, it's not safe. A devastating thriller starring Dustin Hoffman, Laurence Olivier, Roy Scheider, and Marta Keller. A television premiere. Marathon Man. He's running for his life. It stars Dustin Hoffman, Sir Lawrence Olivier, Roy Scheider, Martha Keller, and William Devane. And the genre would be conspiracy thriller. Wow. This came out the same year, 76, as Taxi Driver, All the President's Men, and Network. And it says a lot that this film is arguably as paranoid as any of those other films. It actually came out 45 years ago this October and was a pretty decent hit for its time as well. And yet I had never seen the entire film before until just a few months ago. It's a grabber. Dustin Hoffman stars as a grad student who gets embroiled in a murderous plot involving a transplanted Nazi officer named Zell, who's played by Laurence Olivier. Zell has been hiding for decades and is now headed back to New York City to retrieve a payload of diamonds that he stole when he was an SS officer during the war. This all takes place in the backdrop of Manhattan in the mid-70s, when there were still quite a few Jewish Holocaust survivors alive walking the streets. Zell and his brother were notorious Nazi higher-ups who were well-known for their torture methods. One day, his brother, who was living in Manhattan, he's driving down the street and gets recognized by a survivor driving right behind him. And what follows is a chase ending in an explosion as they both drive into a gas tank. And at the same time, we see Hoffman's Babe. Yep, that's the name of his character, Babe. He's vigorously running through Central Park nearby. He's training for a marathon, hence the title. Meanwhile, his brother, played by Roy Scheider, is in Europe working as an American spy who is trying himself to find Zell. We find out that Scheider's character is also headed to New York to track down Zell and meet with him. You keep me waiting. Why? To upset me? Good evening. I'm not one to be mocked. And your behavior don't give me any shit about my behavior. Not after what you've been pulling. I've done nothing. You're going to tell me that Chen acted on his own? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't mind your hiring him, but my brother, for Christ's sakes, did you have to involve him? It was nothing. It was a violation. We do not involve family. We never involve family. Think of it as a warning. Nothing more. <laughs> Think of that as a warning and nothing more. You'd like to fight, wouldn't you? It will not happen. I'm much too old and far too smart for that. But we must talk, truthfully. Are you to be trusted? No. And right around the same time, we see Hoffman's character strike up a romance with a lovely fellow grad student from Europe who's played by Martha Keller. She's mysterious, though. We don't know too much about her. One evening, when they're strolling around Central Park, we suddenly see them get mugged by two mysterious goons wearing suits. The same goons we see meeting up with Zell at the airport as he arrives in New York. Hmm. So with all key parties now arriving or already in New York, 
everyone's stories start to converge. Now, what I just described to you was just the setup for this movie, maybe the first half hour. John Schlesinger directed this. He does a very effective job of laying out all these disparate elements in a manner which keeps you off guard, but never confused. He never spoon-feeds us the connective tissue. It just develops organically and with a sinister tone throughout. The brilliance of the structure also comes, of course, from the screenwriter, the late, great William Goldman, who is also adapting his own novel, and as it turns out, also wrote the screenplay for All the President's Men that same year. He had a hell of a year. Thanks to what we don't know during the first half, mainly what we see during the second half, we're never really allowed to feel comfortable throughout the entire two-hour runtime, especially Hoffman's protagonist, who is truly put through the ringer. And it goes without saying that Hoffman is effectively dialed up in a manner that certainly matches what his character has to endure. This film has a surprisingly high body count, and you feel every death acutely along with his reactions to what's occurring around him. Now, everyone who has either seen or heard of this film is apparently familiar with the one famous torture scene when we see Zell trying to extract information from Babe. He's got him trapped in a dental chair. He unfurls a belt of dental tools, holds them up, and then just continuously asks him, is it safe? With a disturbingly calm inflection. Needless to say, this is a very unnerving torture sequence. And it's a fantastic sequence. And Olivier really just oozes moral rot and homicidal disdain with every look, mannerism, and inflection of his voice. Justifiably, he was nominated for an Oscar for this role. Is it safe? Yes, it's safe. It's very safe. So safe you wouldn't believe it. Is it safe? No, it's not safe. It's very dangerous. Be careful. That hurt? Uh-huh. No. I should think it would. Should take better care of your teeth. You have a quite a cavity here. Is it safe? Look, I tell you, I can't do it. But to me, the most effectively scary sequence takes place actually a little earlier, in the lead-up to this. Hoffman's babe is in his bathroom. He's taking a bath. And he gets out of the bath as he starts to hear noises in his apartment. Now, naked and wet, he races to lock the bathroom door. And he also tries to bust through the window to get out of the bathroom. All the while, we hear whispering on the other side of that bathroom door, leading to the crackling sound of metal tools being pried through the door, trying to force it open and eventually making the whole bathroom wall start to shudder a bit. It's a crazy sequence. The sound mixing in this scene is just piercing, but what really sells it is Hoffman. His anguish screams for help out that window. It's a small little window. And his rushed attempts to push against the door as he's slipping on the floor, but he's trapped in his bathroom. He's clearly terrified, and he has no clue what's going on, but he knows these creepy figures outside are trying to get in. Now, this isn't technically a horror movie, but it probably stands out as one of the better horror sequences of the 70s. And from this point on, the film just gets crazier and crazier. There are just more and more effective set pieces to come, one of which has Hoffman putting his marathon training to the test, as we see him running furiously, shirtless, I think even without shoes, through Manhattan late at night trying to evade these figures. 
Seriously, his running acumen in these scenes rivals Tom Cruise on his best days. Everyone else in the film is great as well, especially Keller as his mysterious girlfriend, Elsa. As we find out eventually, her character has some dark secrets, and she's very good at conveying that without actually explaining it. I really like this film. It is Prime Hoffman who nailed both his starring role in this and All the President's Men in the same year. This story at times feels borderline exploitative, but it never really crosses that line. This is a serious film with some serious themes. And if you truly enjoy paranoid cinema from the 70s, then this should be right up your alley. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Now, as one would hope, this film has a very moody, eerie score from Michael Small, who did unsettling music for paranoid thrillers in recent years before this, including The Stepford Wives and The Parallax View. It's not very melodic, but it has the desired effect of keeping you unsettled with the use of chimes and low horns, with the occasional synthesized bell tones, which sound even more uneasy. It's a strong score all around, and my personal top choice would be a theme that plays relatively early in the film over a sequence of Zell getting onto his flight out of an unknown South American country where he's been hiding. Disguised with a shaved head, he's quietly stalking through the airport, and we can see him looking suspiciously at everyone around him. The track is fittingly called Airport. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, he's positively great with the screen time he's given, and I would be hard-pressed to even say that, spoiler alert, his character is pretty much out of the picture for the second half of the film, but I would have loved more Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider during the 1970s had to be one of the great runs of any major actor I can recall in so many big movies. Just a sampling of most of his filmography from 71 to 79 Clute, French Connection, The Seven Eps, Jaws, Marathon Man, Sorcerer, Jaws 2, and even all that jazz, which finally garnered him an Oscar nomination for Best Actor, only for him to lose that same year to his co-star here, Dustin Hoffman, who was in Kramer vs. Kramer. Now, just among that group of films I just mentioned, I can confidently predict that at least four of them will be future episodes on this podcast. And even though he wasn't always the star, you always felt his presence. Now, it was a fiercely competitive decade, of course, as you had acting giants like Pacino, Hoffman, De Niro, Nicholson. They were getting all the plaudits. Actors like these were either method, larger than life, or even both of those for much of the time. They were often given big monologues or full-on acting moments, so you just couldn't forget them. This wasn't the case with Roy Scheider. He was a wiry, more conventionally handsome, often subdued everyman who was usually there just to serve the story first and foremost. Even in a starring role like Jaws, Roy Scheider is generally giving all the bigger moments to Richard Dreyfuss, Robert Shaw, and even the shark, if we're being honest. But that's what was so great about him. Scheider would always help ground your story and help you stay involved, reacting to events as a normal, relatable human would, in most cases. 
He certainly does that in Marathon Man. Now, he has just a couple of key scenes with both Olivier and Hoffman, and his most generous contribution is to help demonstrate the state of mind of each of these other characters, along with demonstrating the stakes of the story. He's just so compelling in these scenes that I wanted more. Especially seeing him and Hoffman as brothers, which is kind of a perfect pairing when you think about it, as different as those two actors were. Bottom line, when you were wind back through the 1970s with some notable exceptions of All That Jazz and Sorcerer, a running theme was that I could always have used more Roy Scheider. I'm not really that familiar with Switzerland. What part are you from? A tiny place. Thank you. Verbier. Verbier? Yeah. Oh, I don't believe it. What? There's this guy that works in my office, a ski bum. A real pain in the ass about skiing, excuse me. But he's always going on about Verbier. That's right at the mount of, uh, at the foot of Mount uh, Rosa, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. He says it's some of the best skiing in the world. Mm. Is that true? Of course. Is he 100% right? Sure. (laughs) Then you must know Claude Lassure, the instructor there. Have you skied with him? Yeah. Where is it? Verbier. Verbier. I've made all this up. There is no Mount Rosa in Verbier, and there is no Claude Lassure. You're not Swiss. What are you? What are you? Can't you guess? Sure. German. Anything else? How long are your working papers good for? Hey, wait a minute. I don't need work papers. I'm a student here. Je comprends. I don't know. Whatever you're doing. No, many foreigners to... marry Americans to make things nice and legal. Then all of a sudden, the marriages don't work out. Is that what you think of me? Look, stop yeah. it. Just stop don't it, man. Don't you ask Matt. me if I care for him. Why bother? You haven't told the truth so far. And that brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, this is a very obvious choice as we are talking about imagery and dialogue which have really kept the legacy of this film alive going back 45 years now. But yes, of course, the scene where we watch Olivier Zell aggressively try to mentally and physically break down Hoffman's babe in that dentist chair, it's what most people remember about this movie. And that includes your trailer moments. Now, torture sequences in movies are always extremely tricky, as they can go a variety of ways. Exploitation, absurdity, being unwatchable, etc., But the director, Schlesinger, handles this one very delicately as you don't actually see that much, at least not much within the mouth of Babe, of what Zell is doing, but you see just enough, of course. You certainly see the reactions of Hoffman's face and even the reactions of a couple of men around Zell who are there with him. And it's all shot with just the right amount of shadow by the legendary director of photography, Conrad Hall. Everything we are watching, hearing Hoffman's screams, and of course that oft-repeated line from Olivier, is it safe? It all adds up to the nightmare vision that this film is really going for. And that brings me to the final category, and that would be MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, it is truly a collaborative effort to pull off this kind of high-wire act of a thriller. As Schlesinger, Goldman, Hall, and crew, they were all truly at the top of their game. It also helps that this whole crazy party was brought together by one of the true legendary producers of this era, Robert Evans. He not only produced seminal 70s films like The Godfather and Love Story, but he was also known to be quite the character himself, which you can see in full Technicolor in his self-narrated documentary, The Kid Stays in the Picture. Really a fun movie, I would recommend. And finally, it's really tempting to go with the performer who most folks remember from this film. The man, the myth, the Shakespearean legend himself, Sir Laurence Olivier, who delivers a truly unforgettable performance playing a truly unforgettable character. In fact, I'll just designate him a close runner-up to MVP. Nope, the MVP with just enough first-place votes to eke it out at the top is Dustin Hoffman. He has always been one of my favorite actors, 
And this is a pure 100% Hoffman tour de force performance, which serves the story well. It's really quite the movie star performance without much of the actual vanity that comes with that. He's a true physical presence for sure, as he really does live up to the title of the film, running throughout most of it. And it seems like he's shirtless for half the runtime as well, as he was obviously in peak physical shape for this film. But here's the thing. Hoffman never actually looks good in this film. This isn't Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise. Hoffman's character always looks exhausted or terrified or drained. And even though he's by far the most sympathetic character on the screen and we're rooting for him, Hoffman doesn't play him as a likable everyman. Nope, this guy is kind of a smart-ass creep, especially during some early scenes when we watch him doing the apparent 70s-80s version of courting as we see him pursue Martha Keller's character, who ends up being his love interest, which today would just be referred to as stalking. Uh, I'm sorry I stole your book. What? I took your book and put it underneath mine. I, I didn't know how to talk to you. I, I was embarrassed, so I, I took your book. Aren't you embarrassed now? Yeah, I'm, I'm humiliated. So why do you pursue people who sit at your library table? I don't. It's just a... You're pretty. Oh. Well, I can't talk about how smart you are. I don't even know you. Anyway, I'm done lying with you. Oh, you're always so incompetent with women. Oh, yes. Today's way above average for me. Congratulations. Good night. It's too bad. I could make you so happy. I'm smart as a whip. You won't meet another thief like me in the library again. Come on, why don't you say you'll see me? All right. I see you again. But we experience what he is experiencing for most of this film, and it's engrossing and highly entertaining. This film does not work without Hoffman at the middle of it. He is the MVP. My rating for this film would be four and a half stars out of five. <laughs> Lately, I've been trying to catch up on several films from the 70s that I had missed initially, especially the paranoid conspiracy thrillers, which were in such fashion during that time, including Three Days of the Condor, The Parallax View, The Conversation. Of all those films, this one actually feels the most modern, as it actually contains the most action and is the most relentlessly paced. Now, that said, this film is not for everyone. If you are not a fan of, say, the recent films from the Safdie brothers, Good Time, Uncut Gems, both of which I happen to love, but which I believe a lot of others have found very stress-inducing to watch, then you probably will not enjoy this as well. But if you enjoy films like those, then I would certainly recommend that you check this one out. And if you're looking for Marathon Man, you can find it available to buy or rent on all major streaming platforms. And that ends another tortured review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. Follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.